Hello, and welcome once again to another edition of Comfortably Unnumb, the official podcast of the Umbrella Society here in beautiful Victoria, British Columbia. I'm Blake Anderson, the program's manager here at the Umbrella Society and the host of this program. Well, I think it's safe to say that we're off to the races with this podcast, and it seems to be getting to a bit of a groove here. Um, I really have appreciated and continue to enjoy the positive feedback uh, we've been getting from this podcast, and I've, I've enjoyed listening back myself to these inspirational stories. We do have another one coming up for you today. This episode will close out our three-part series focused on Foundation House, Umbrella's second stage house for men. There have just been so many success stories coming out of this house and this program. Foundation House's model is one that gives agency back to the individual and allows the time necessary for someone to get back on their feet. The community and also the family dynamic of the house creates a safe space where someone feels like they can stay the course and make the house their home for their time in the program. Uh, there are so many attributes of the house that can contribute to one's success. But at the end of the day, it really is up to the individual to determine how best they utilize the program. In our previous cast, speaking with Matt and Eric, we have seen the different ways in which Foundation House can serve an individual. Uh, today's cast, we'll be speaking with James, the current senior resident at Foundation House. James is also employed with the Umbrella Society as a member of Victoria General Hospital's Addiction Medicine Consult Service. That's quite the name. Uh, James has the opportunity on a daily basis to be a role model of recovery, and he can use his story to inspire others. Um, much like many stories out there, James's journey has included many setbacks, including a couple of substantial relapses at Foundation House. But at Umbrella Society, you know, we understand the process, and we are absolutely invested in the individual. James was someone who worked very hard to build the strength of the house and to those around him. He also worked incredibly hard on his recovery. So supporting James through his times of need was an easy call to make. James also has fostered this beautiful relationship between himself and Laika, our house dog. The two of them are practically inseparable and James has been a consistent support for her in the house. And in turn, Laika has been an integral part of James's recovery. It's quite a beautiful thing to see. Uh, James's role in the house at this point is so significant as he is an example of what perseverance and determination can achieve. He is the model of what can be achieved if you work hard enough at your recovery. I'm very proud of all of his accomplishments and uh, I'm very happy to have him on the program today. All right, James, thanks so much for coming and uh, being part of this podcast experience. Absolutely. Right happy on. Happy to be here. I think you were the one who actually, uh, you know, coined this this term comfortably unnumb for for the podcast. So I appreciate that. Yeah. Uh, well, per- wasn't wasn't my name to choose. I just thought it was a great name. Yeah, it's awesome, man. Yeah. So yeah, I guess we we have known each other a, a long time. Uh, yeah, yeah it, it seems like it's it's been a long time. Um, you know, you're you're uh, had quite the journey with your you know with with umbrella, but also with your recovery, and uh, yeah, we've definitely gone through a lot. Um, yeah. We'd, I'd love to hear about about your story and and where you started and uh, you know kind of leading up to your your time and, and starting in Foundation House and uh, you know kind of let's bring us through and and see where you're at now. So sure, yeah. So like when when did your recovery journey really start or when did you yeah what was your what was your your history kind of when? Um, uh, well, it's definitely it's been a it's been a long journey. Um, I would kind of, you know, think it kind of really, really started back in, I guess that'd be about 2014 when, you know, my substance use really started kicking off and, you know, I was, I was working full time and living alone, making money and, uh, really isolating a lot. And I think 2014, I was kind of a late bloomer as, as far as, uh, you know, substance use issues kind of hitting me, um. But uh, that kind of just stands out that that was definitely the, the time that I realized, you know, my, my drinking especially has just been getting out of control. And that was the first time I actually admitted to uh, loved ones around me and friends that, you know, like, I think I have a problem. Right. How um, old were you then? Uh, I would have been 24, okay. 24, 25. Yeah. Were you kind of a recreational user before that then? Or was it like, was there a science that there was a problem earlier on that you just weren't identifying or was that? Um... Yeah. You know, like kind of looking back, um, like I was always like always a, a heavy weekend drinker, um, right. you know, through, through high school, like I was always looking forward to any reason to, to drink, but uh, I definitely, you know, didn't drink on my own. 
Um, I even remember I, I, I took football pretty serious in high school and um, I, I remember a lot of periods where I just wouldn't drink for a month because I wanted to, you know, train and be better for football. And, uh, you know, that kind of reinforced that idea that, you know, I had control over this, right? right. It really wasn't until I graduated university um, and my roommate at the time moved out and I was actually living by myself. And, uh, you know, like I was working just a nine to five job, um, coming home to an empty place. I didn't have a girlfriend or partner at the time and I would come home to an empty place. And that was like a big shift in in my substance use for sure because it was definitely it was that like loneliness and isolation and i really wasn't doing much outside of work so there was a lot of boredom there too so that's really like that's really when things escalated was you know when i was done school i wasn't living with anyone anymore um, i started to isolate more and every day after work like i'd come home and just start drinking you know because it was in my eyes, it was, you know, why not? You know, like I did a full day's work. I deserve this. I got nothing else to do. Um, you know, no one else is here to kind of call me out if I'm drinking too much. Sure. Um, and like looking back, I can see that also like I justified a lot of that by, you know, um, you know, kind of that pity party, that poor me, that no one's around, no one cares for me. Right. Um, so who cares if I hurt myself, you know, drinking and that just fueled it right because it was like who cares you know like no one's no one's here to love me or care for me or anything like that like i'm only hurting myself and but uh like real in uh realistically like all i was doing i was pushing people away and right. and fueling that uh justification of the loneliness and so that, you're creating that, that isolation essentially, yeah right? absolutely yeah. like yeah. my yeah my addict was just absolutely trying to isolate me as much as possible so then i could justify drinking more you know okay yeah so you say you're you're 24 and you you know start admitting to loved ones that you do have this problem uh what did that look like um it actually so it actually started with a a scenario where uh one evening so i'm living in saskatoon um i had a buddy who lived in calgary and one evening i'm I'm just uh, absolutely obliterated um, I'm not proud of this circumstance. This mm-hmm. this scenario is is a pretty pretty bad one. But uh, I decided that uh, that evening, like literally about ten o'clock, that I was going to drive to Calgary and all the way from Saskatoon. Wow. This is uh, midwinter too, so really really stupid stupid uh, thing to do. Luckily, you know, I wasn't injured. No one was injured. But I ended up driving the you know like six hours uh, all night to to Calgary and drinking the whole way. You know, uh, I was really in a depressive state at this point and just wanted to get to my friend's house. And when I got there, my friend just looked at me and he's like, wow, like, what is up with you? Like, I had no idea it was this bad. Like, man, you, you need help. And, you know, I'm a, I come to his doorstep and I'm just bawling, just saying, like, my life is ruined. And, you know, I, I you know, it's my life never turned out how it wanted to be and how much I wanted to be like him. And all that type of stuff and a lot of self-pity and my friend you know he's like well just crash here you know like we'll talk about this in the morning and I remember this feeling of um, embarrassment you know going through all this and and like I'm I'm absolutely like I'm I'm just tanked at this point and this is like 3 a.m in Calgary 4 a.m in Calgary and I'm just hitting that like moment of embarrassment I just want to get out of there so I decided it'd be a good idea to drive all the way back home to Saskatoon Um, you know, unfortunately on my way back to Saskatoon, um, I, uh, got into a little like road rage incident with somebody, you know, I'm obviously driving like an idiot and, uh, you know, long story short, we're kind of going back and forth and I ended up speeding past them, pulling over the side of the ditch to, uh, relieve myself and getting my car stuck in the snow. And, uh, these, you know, this guy in this big truck and, trailer comes up behind me and three big guys come out and these this is the guys that were kind of road raging for the last half hour um they come out and i'm you know i'm sitting there like wow i'm gonna get absolutely beaten here and uh yeah they get out and the only thing i could do is like how can i scare these guys you know how can i make sure i don't get my face beat in here and i had a had a hunting knife with me and i I pulled out the hunting knife just to get them to scare or scare them 
back in their truck. Luckily, I didn't use it on them, but I did end up kind of putting the hunting knife through their trailer. And uh, obviously, this prompted them to call the cops. And, you know, fast forward, I get arrested for DUI and, and mischief. And, um, you know, it, it, things could have ended up a lot worse, basically. Right. But that's kind of, you know, roughly the, that story that happened. And that, that was kind of, uh, you know, one of my bottoms. It wasn't my last bottom, but... Right that brought it uh um you know the that showed that scenario showed my friends and my family how bad mm-hmm. i've gotten you it's know front and center all of a sudden yeah it was you know like i had to like i'm i got pulled over picked up in a small i can't remember what town it was a small town in alberta and uh you know i had to call my parents to come pick me up at 8 a.m you know and i'm i'm you know still drunk too and that was a big shocker to them. You know, my mom, my dad, they always looked at me like I always had good grades. You know, I was always really level headed. You know, I just got my degree in engineering. I had a great engineering job. And, um, you know, I, I didn't really disclose with them how poorly my life was going, you know? So when they came and picked me up that, that morning, I guess, and they saw me and they saw, you know, how much, how much I've declined, not only physically, but like emotionally, like I was just, you know, I, would, I was not the James that they knew. Right? right. And that scared them, you know, um, to the point where, you know, I was scared too. I didn't really know what to do. I felt so lonely. I felt so lost. And I ended up actually moving back into my parents, you know, at the age of, yeah, like I said, I think that was 24 or 25, but, um, I ended up moving back with my parents and, um, you know, I, I had probation. I lost my license for a few months because of the whole incident. Um, and I remember my mom uh, saying, like, you know, if you stop drinking, I'll stop drinking. And she's she's never had both my parents never had a drinking issue. And, um, you know, I remember just saying, like, yeah, like I'm living under their roof. Like, sure, I'll, I'll do that for sure. I think I lasted about five days. Okay. Um, I lasted about five days. And uh, you know, I made up some lie why I started drinking again and really tried to hide it from them. And I lived with them for a year. And during that whole year, I wasn't working, you know, I'm mm. 25 years old. I'm not working. I'm living with my parents. Uh, they've seen me decline. They see me uh, declining further. And as they're going to work every day, you know, I'm staying home, I'm drinking by myself, raiding their liquor cabinet and uh, meeting with my probation officer i'm you know just trying to hide it from absolutely everyone and i'm going absolutely nowhere in life and they're slowly seeing it right and um it got to a point where you know i I came home one day after visiting or having an appointment with my probation officer and my dad uh uh was in the living room and he was crying and my dad you know he's a uh, XRCMP, uh, I swear I've seen him cry like maybe once before that. Right. And he was like just bawling. And when I walked through the door and saw him bawling, uh, he was holding a garbage can, uh, the garbage can that was in my room. And it was actually full of like air duster containers. So it got so bad that, uh, um, you know, I wasn't able to drive. I was trying to hide my drinking. I couldn't get any more booze. You know, I drank all my parents' booze. And I remember looking up online, you know, like, how could I, how could I get intoxicated? How could I get messed up uh, legally, you know, without booze or things around the house? And, you know, I came across uh, air duster, you know, like computer cleaner and uh, what an awful, awful thing to be doing to your body. But anyways, uh, my dad, uh, in the scenario, my dad was holding up a garbage can full of empty air duster containers and he's like you're literally just killing yourself in our basement right. like what is going on and that blew his mind that really that scenario really stood out to me because you know a i was showing how much uh, my actions weren't just killing myself hurting myself it was really Impact. impacting yeah it was really impacting uh, obviously my dad and my mom and everyone around me um and uh i agreed to go to treatment um, you know, fortunately, uh, I had the luxury, my, my parents were willing to, uh, pay for, for the treatment. Uh, I went to Thorpe and I think the treatment was around $20,000 or something like that. And, uh, 
I remember my dad saying like, um, I don't, I don't care. Like I'll take out loans. And I think he did take out a loan and he just Do wanted, anything. Yeah, yeah, he just wanted me to get there ASAP, you know? Okay. And I think I got there within three days, you know? Um, yeah. Um, you know, I went to Thorpe, uh, recovery center in Alberta and it was, uh, it was a good experience. It was all men's at that time. Um, I learned, I learned a lot, but uh, like, again, you know, like in hindsight, looking back, like I just, I wasn't fully committed, mm-hmm. you know, that was the first time that I ever heard the serenity prayer. Uh, like first time that there was any touch of AA or the 12 step or anything like that. And I remember that really scared me, you know, like the, the first in-house meeting we had and, uh, we had to like go around in a circle and we did the serenity prayer. I was like, what am I doing here? Wait, what is this? This yeah. is freaky. Like, this is like cultish, you know? Which is funny to where I am today for, right. you know, how involved I am in the AA program. But uh, at the time, it really scared me. But I just really, yeah, um, I left that treatment center uh, thinking I was cured. I even remember um, going on a fishing trip, nice fishing trip with buddies who, uh, you know, I don't ever want to proclaim anyone an alcoholic, but they definitely consumed more than the average person on a regular basis. And I thought it'd be a good test for me to, to go on this fishing trip. You know, it was a week long fishing trip out in Northern Saskatchewan where there'd be drinking nonstop. And there was, and, and this is right after treatment, right after much? treatment, oh. right after treatment, okay, you know, I thought, yeah, I thought, why not? You know, like I'm strong and this is going to prove it. If I can make it through this, you know, I'm golden. Well, I did make it through it. I didn't drink. Um, I think after that uh, scenario, I think I didn't drink for maybe another week and I was back on it, you know, and uh, that really didn't prove anything. Like all I was doing, was white knuckling it, right? It it maybe in the end, it might've reinforced my overconfidence in, Mm. in that I had it, you know, I had control over it. So, you know, I can't remember exactly what my justification was for starting to drink again, but I'm sure a lot of it had to do with the fact that Hey, if I can make it through a week of being around uh, liquor all the time, maybe it, I, I'm not an alcoholic, you know, maybe I can casually drink or whatever. Right. And we've, we've talked about this in, in past uh, podcasts is this, this kind of myth that, you know, you head off to treatment and you put in your time that you come out and you're cured, you know, you've, yeah. you've got her beat and, um, yeah, obviously that's not the case. Right. And, and, no. and unfortunately a lot of times it takes those falls to realize that, right. It's, uh, you know, it'd be great to have that foresight, but a lot of times you gotta, you gotta fall down a few times to, yeah. to experience that. Right. And yeah. to learn from it. Yeah. Yeah. So, and I've, I've fallen down a lot as, right. as you're right. well aware. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So you got to finish your treatment, you know, things going well, you think you got, you have it, you don't, you're here drink again. Where, where do you go from there? Yeah. So that was after Thorpe. Um, I ended up going back to, to work, you know, so I'm, Oh, I should also mention after my DUI, uh, yeah, after treatments, I got a blow box, so a breathalyzer box right. in my car. I had to do it for a year. It was part of Saskatchewan's rule. I don't know if that still is a rule now, but I had to get it for a year. So you got to imagine I'm in active addiction, trying to hide my drinking, holding an engineering job uh, in a small town in Saskatchewan at a mining company, and um, you know driving around trying not to blow over on my on my breathalyzer. So. Right. It's uh, it created a lot of chaos in my life, you know? So, um, yeah, basically after treatment, I go do this job. Uh, I, was, I was there for about a year, um, continuously drinking, you know, had my breathalyzer in my car, uh, kind of making friendships in this small town, but everything revolved around drinking regardless, like the curling or the golfing or fishing, whatever, it would always be drinking. Um, and that, and that was my social lubricant too. You know, that was my way into, to really, to really, um, kind of build those friendships with people was to get loose lipped and, and, and drink and share stories. But eventually, you know, my drinking escalated to the point where I needed, uh, to get treatment again, you know, and I remember coming to my boss and just explaining like, this is a circumstance. I think at, at this point I've, I've, you know, kind of done the called in sick, you know, every Monday for the last four weeks type deal, you know? Um, and you know, my cracks are starting to show. Yeah. You know, like it is starting to show and I'm pretty sure I was aware of that. uh, It was being pretty evident and I just kind of came, came clean. And fortunately the company I worked for, they said, all right, we're going to send you to treatment. They sent me back to Thorpe fully paid for. 
uh, this time Thorpe uh, Recovery Center was a co-ed um, and I got absolutely not a, nothing out of it. I ended up falling in love in this co-ed, uh, co-ed facility and uh, yeah, unfortunately that whole treatment, even though it was two months long, looking back, it was just a wash. You know, I was, my whole day was revolved around this one girl that I just couldn't wait to chat with her, couldn't wait to talk with her and my recovery was not even on my mind. Right. So when I left that treatment center, went back to work, same place. Um, you know, I thought I could, uh, I knew I couldn't drink, you know, like absolutely. But I thought I could just maybe, you know, smoke weed, you know, like I'm sure I could just manage smoking weed because smoking weed was something I enjoyed when I was younger, but nothing that I thought was a big problem. And, you know, I did that for another maybe two months or so. And it got to the point where I was smoking so much weed. And, you know, this is back in probably... 2000, 2016 in Saskatchewan. Uh, so weed wasn't legal. I'm getting pretty shitty weed, truthfully, to tell you the truth. So I'm smoking a lot of it, trying to get that feeling. Um, and it just came to the point where I just wasn't uh, escaping reality as much as I would have liked right. to, right? So it came to the point where I just started drinking again. You know, I needed more. It, yeah. it, it wasn't cutting it. I needed that escape. and That that door was still left open a crack with the weed smoke. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Like I knew, I knew deep down, uh, you know, that I wasn't it's clean and sober. Time. You know, yeah. I knew I was still escaping. Unfortunately, you know, treatment definitely ruined my substance use. I knew all these, I knew all these things that I was doing. You know, I was aware of it, but I, I chose to try and just push it out and escape. And um, yeah, the smoking of the weed, you know, it started off really small uh, maybe just like a joint after work and then it escalated where I was just like constantly and just making edibles and just trying to maintain that constant high and uh, you know tolerance builds up and mm -hmm. it just got to a point where I was you know after work I just needed something more and so the the drinking creeped back in um, again uh, you know drinking caught up to me um, and got sent to treatment again uh, this time though I got sent to uh, uh, Cedars up in Cobble Hill here on Vancouver Island. And uh, I was actually, you know, I was very fortunate. The company I worked for, they actually let me pick which treatment center I wanted okay. to go to. Wow. Yeah. At the time, you know, uh, I was very entitled and I was like, yeah, of course I get a pick, you know. But now working in this industry and uh, being through what I've been through, uh, that idea of being able to pick your treatment center was quite the luxury. So. I remember doing some research and I just, I thought like, wow, Cedars is awesome. You know, it looks wonderful. It looks mm -hmm. kind of like a vacation in a right. sense. Yeah. Beautiful. I've never been to Vancouver Island. Always wanted to be there or go there. Um, so I went there and that, I would say that was the start of my recovery. Okay. You know, yeah, that was the start of my recovery and that was in uh, 2017. Um, yeah, 2017. Um, I went to Cedars and, you know, I completed the program of a little over two months. I learned a lot about myself during that. I learned a lot about, uh, you know, spirituality, uh, you know, that the world doesn't revolve around me. Surprise, surprise that, you know, like I can't really control, uh, you know, how people perceive me that I can control things outside of, you know, outside of myself. And I learned a lot. Um, I also took recovery pretty seriously you know, at that point, cause I knew, I don't know how many more times I go to treatment, you know, right. like it's, yeah. it's been a roller coaster at this point. I've, you know, ruined relationships. I've, you know, pushed people away. I've ruined jobs, all this type of stuff. So, um, you know, at towards the end of my treatment, I had a counselor talk to me and say, you know, like, what's the, what's the plan? I said, well, I'm going to go back to Saskatchewan, go back to work, uh, you know, make the good money that I'm used to making and I'm going to be stay sober. And they said, okay, you know, what are you going to do for your recovery while you're there? And I said, well, I'll go to a meeting, you know. And in this small town where I was working, there was a meeting once a week there. And they just straight up said, like, you're going to start drinking again, 100%. Right. Like, you got, you got no supports <laughs> you. there. Yeah. You got no supports there. And, uh, you know, it kind of went in one ear and out the other at the time. But I remember this one guy uh, that was at Cedars. He was one of the clients. And, He's one of those guys I thought he would never even make like a week. Like I thought he was going to leave early. Um, and we kind of came in roughly around the same time. And I remember uh, after this conversation with the counselor, we we're sitting down at the dinner table and he's talking. And I was like, so what are you going to do now? Are you going to go? I think he's from Alberta. Are you going to go back home? He's like, 
no man like i need to do something serious here like i don't want to go back to drinking i'm gonna go stay at a recovery house and i was like whoa that's pretty intense like you can go to a recovery house yeah you know and uh, we kind of talked about it for a while and then like after that conversation i was like here's this guy that i thought wasn't even gonna make it in treatment and he's taking his recovery serious more serious than i am you know i was like i need to like i need to do something legit so you know, I decided to go to a recovery house here in Victoria. At, at the time, it was Mile Zero up in James Bay. It was a really nice place, co-ed place. Um, it was kind of affiliated with Cedars, and uh, it was really nice. And um, yeah, I stayed there for about three months, got a sponsor, really dove into the AA community that's here in Victoria, and just fell in love with it uh, right. to the point where I decided I wanted to officially, you know, move to Victoria. Like I, I love the AA community. I, I just really felt like this was going to be my new home. Yeah. And uh, I told, you know, I told my work, you know, they were still expecting me back. And I told my work that uh, I won't be coming back. Um, I'm going to stay out here. And they were very supportive. Um, oh, cool. Yeah, very supportive. And, you know, they wished me all the luck in the world. And Basically, I just said goodbye to Saskatchewan and, and kind of moved here uh, towards the end of 2017. And, you know, things went well after Cedars. You know, I um, I eventually did relapse. Um, you know, I was in that recovery house for about three months and I moved out on my own. Um, and actually, that relapse uh, happened pretty close to my... Uh, yeah, pretty close to my birthday. I remember um, uh, I ended up getting like a, a cold, you know. And uh, one of the things I, I remember way back when was, um, I don't know if you want to go into specifics about what kind of drugs or yeah, Whatever you want, yeah. Sure. Yeah, um, Yeah, it's because it's a kind of a unique one. I remember way back when uh, I got really into like dextromethorphan, like cough syrup, cough suppressant. Um, and I had this cold, you know. And I just like justified to myself, well, I need, I need cough medicine. Like, obviously that's a thing. And I bought a, a bottle of cough syrup and, uh, I honestly, to this day, I don't know what happened. And I just down the whole bottle, mm -hmm. you know, down the whole bottle. And, you know, this is six months in recovery, working right. with a sponsor, work, working, working the right. steps. Going to community. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. You know, like right. really trying to make a, you know, really trying to implant myself in the recovery community. And here I am living by myself and I'm, you know, high on this cough syrup stuff. And instantly I knew my recovery was gone. You know, the shame, the guilt just hit me like a ton of bricks. And it just happened just that quick, right? Um, I'm sure, you know, leading up to that, you know, I wasn't maybe going to enough meetings. I was isolating maybe a little bit more. But at that moment is, is when I relapsed. And, uh, you know, all my relapses since have not been with liquor, you know. Right. And that's kind of the interesting thing. All my relapses since then have all been justifiable in the sense of in the moment um, it was either pain of some sort and overdid on pain medications or a cold or something and overdid on cough syrup. But, That's what got you back. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and that, <coughs> excuse me, just getting over uh, a cough right now, but uh, no cough syrup. Um, yeah. Anyways. Uh, so, you know, this, this, uh, this relapse with, with the cough syrup, it's, uh, it kind of escalated, you know, I'm, I'm still in recovery, still going to meetings and stuff like that, but, um, I'm secretly like getting high off this dextromethorphan. And, um, I think later on, I, I just kind of slowly started smoking weed too, but it was, it was the shame and the guilt that just completely right. killed me. Right. Cause fuel to the fire. Oh, absolutely. And like, again, pushing more people away. And the only friends I made here were people in recovery too. So right. I'm just this phony guy saying that he's clean and sober when in reality you know uh i'm often high around people and they just didn't quite recognize it i'm sure they noticed something about me something different but eventually it got to the point where again you know i was like screw it i'm gonna continue drinking i relapsed who cares right. continue drinking yeah. and are open. yeah yeah you know and am i drinking now at this point like when i when i start drinking like it's true you know what, what i always hear people say is like you pick up where you left off uh, that's my case, you know, and I'm a hundred percent confident if I was to pick up today, I'd pick up where I left off. You know, it's, it, I've proven it to myself time and time again. And I did, you know, I, I, uh, was consuming vast amounts of 
alcohol by myself. And, uh, again, it got so bad that I, I called Cedars and went back to Cedars for a refresher. Um, this time, uh, I had to pay for it. You know, I didn't have employment. I didn't have insurance, didn't have anything of like that. And I was just adamant to go to Cedars. Uh, luckily I had some savings and Cedars kind of helped me out, gave me a little bit of a discount. Um, but regardless, I, I went to Cedars and kind of got a little refresher and um, ended up going after Cedars, going back to mile zero once more. And, you know, I just, looking back at that, I just was not in the right headspace. I think I started using at mile zero recovery house a month after I got there this time, you know, mm. um, I can't remember exactly what prompted that, that use, but I just don't think, you know, I think that that shame and that guilt of, of originally relapsing would just stuck with me. Right. You hadn't, you hadn't conquered that. I haven't conquered that. And I didn't have, I didn't allow for enough time for me to, uh, kind of, uh, get over that as well. Right. You know, like I, I went from basically relapse to heavy addiction all over again to a refresher at uh, Cedars for like a week and, or a month and a half and then to recovery house almost like nothing ever happened, right? Right. It was just kind of just like the same thing. Without really addressing it. Without yeah. really addressing it. Yeah. And then so I relapsed in the recovery house and, uh, you know, they kicked me out. They gave me, a, they gave me a chance and all that. But uh, in the end, you know, I chose substances over. So they, they uh, yeah, they kicked me out and... Um, basically I was just kind of living in, uh, motels and B and B's around town. And that was one of the darkest moments of my life. Like I am, you know, I'm telling my family back home that everything's all right. You know, everything's going still great. Keeping the ruse up. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. You know, uh, still telling some recovery people, like, even though I'm not like meeting them face to face, that everything's all fine and a final dandy. And here I am, you know, like just sitting in this dungy you know fifteen hundred dollars a month rental and just drinking my life away you know just absolutely just killing myself and waking up feeling horrible and just trying to trying to drink as much to fall asleep as i possibly could just so i didn't have to face realities just that i didn't have to face you know that that shame and guilt that i imposed on myself and um yeah it was it was a horrible horrible time and um, I eventually reached out to my auntie who actually lives up in Langford and we were, we were never really that close, but I got to that point where I was just so lonely, so she isolated. Needed yeah. I needed somebody, you know, and, uh, I reached out to her and just said, you know, I've been struggling, but I really need a place to stay, um, somebody to be with. And, um, I don't even actually think I said I need a place to stay. I think I just reached out to her and kind of just told her I'm really struggling. I think she just offered. Uh, she just moved to a condo, two bedroom condo in Langford. And she said, come stay with me. She had no idea how bad my addiction was. Like, I mean, right. no idea at all. And when I came and lived with her, it was an eye opener for her. She was, yeah, I brought chaos, you know, absolute chaos. Like I would just isolate in the room. It's a small two bedroom apartment. I'd isolate in my room. She would like never see me. And I'm just drinking in my room. Um, she was too scared to kind of address it. You know, she didn't know how to address it really kind of tiptoe around me. And this went on for about three months. And, um, eventually I went to detox and, uh, kind of started my, I would say second full attempt at recovery, uh, second honest attempt at recovery. Um, <coughs> excuse me. Yeah, so uh, this is uh, going to detox. I'm not too sure what year this would have been. Probably uh, 2019, I guess. Uh, went to detox. Um, met with a great uh, social worker there who, you know, just said, like, let's get you set up with supportive recovery, you know, right. recovery houses and, and all this type of stuff. And we'll get you over to stabilization first. And everything was just so smooth. Like, I... I went from detox to stabilization, which was at the time in Eric Martin Pavilion. It's a 30-day program, right? Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. So detox, yeah, you know, the typical seven days and then went across the hall to stabilization, which was 30 days. Um, there you had a lot more freedom where I could kind of just go about and kind of join the recovery community again, but just have to come back for groups and all that. But uh, 
then I got set up after stabilization to the Grove, uh, which is a men's kind of uh, recovery house, I guess, uh, you know, run by Island Health. And I stay, ended up staying there for about five months. You know, it was a little bit longer than uh, what they typically say, around three months max stay. But I had a really great experience there. Um, the staff were amazing and, and everything. Like we had great guys there and um, I was just doing full-time recovery, mm. absolute full-time recovery. And um, when I was, I guess this is kind of an important part because this is umbrella. Uh, when I was in uh, stabilization, I always heard people talk about like, you need an umbrella worker. Like you absolutely need an umbrella worker. And I had no idea what that was, you know. Um, but I was all up for suggestions and ended up uh, calling umbrella and getting an umbrella worker. And uh, I honestly, I feel bad, but I can't remember the first umbrella worker I had. Right. It was this, it was a female that I only met a couple times um, just for coffee. But uh, it was definitely good. Like we had good conversations and uh, we we're talking about foundation house, you know, uh, umbrellas, recovery house and, you know, it's some some place I could go after the Grove that's recovery related. And uh, I was very committed at this time. Like I was like, I'll take kind of whatever I can get. And um, yeah, so I, I, you know, got my name on uh, Foundation House. And after the Grove, I ended up going over to Foundation House. And that was kind of my first experience with Foundation House. Um, right. It was, uh, yeah, it was a really, really good experience. I remember the first time I got to Foundation House, it was actually during a Wednesday night meeting. Um, you know, this is a house with 12 guys and I was absolutely scared, uh, you know, overwhelmed. Like, how could I go from the Grove where we all had our own bedroom and there was like, I think five guys or six guys. Right. Um, big house. Yeah, you know, and coming <laughs> to this roommate. house where there's 12 guys and, you know, I came there on a Wednesday. So Wednesday night we had the, the group house meeting. So everyone's packed in there. I'm like, there's no way I can live here. Like this is insane, um, but then people started sharing. Um, the guys in the house were super, you know, welcoming to me, and the level of vulnerability that people were sharing about—that's mm -hmm. what really stuck out to me. It stuck out to me. It was—I uh, couldn't believe this whole house was being so vulnerable, so open with each other, right. and like instantly, just like that, I went from like. Um, you know, absolute despair for living in this place to like gratitude, like, wow, these guys got something here that, that I really want. And I want to be a part of this family. And yeah, so I lived at Foundation House. Um, and, you know, Blake, you, you're pretty familiar with my history over the last, I guess, what's, what's it been probably three and a half years kind of right. in and out of Foundation House. Yeah, it hasn't been a you know a smooth trajectory altogether, but yeah. at the same time, um, I, I think for you, I, I think you did understand the um, the importance of of the brotherhood and kind of connecting, right? right. You just spoke to it. The the you know how a large group of people can get vulnerable and can support each other throughout this, right? So, and and we saw that that with you. So, I mean, your your first your first stay, obviously, it was a uh, um, came out. It was it was a fantastic fantastic start. How long were you there for the first the first time? The first time, I want to say, I think I had about around ten months sober. So I want to say I was there for about four months. The first right. the first time, um, completely in in the fold of the of the house and the family yeah. and it, like yeah completely and, and, and loving it you know right. like we had such a good crew uh loved all the guys in the house uh we had Leica obviously the the, the foundation house dog and yeah I mean was, you you had a real special connection pretty much yeah. from the start with her right absolutely like I love dogs um yeah we had a good connection she honestly she didn't like me for the first little bit until I took her on a walk like every day for right. the first week and a half and then then she warmed, warmed up to me quite quickly. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, but uh, yeah, it was, uh, you know, four great months. And again, what kind of happened? I don't really remember exactly how it happened, but I relapsed again on cough syrup. Um, and actually, I think it was like cough pills or something like that. But regardless, at the end of the day, 
It's right uh, in around uh, COVID as well, right? This is right when lockdown happened. That's right. This yeah, first time, which was definitely put, obviously, it changed the dynamics of the house and the connectivity. Yeah. Um, you know, they're weird times, right? So, yeah. 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 So that obviously was kind of interplayed with that, with that as well. Yeah, it was. And um, yeah, there was uh, like, again, leading up to it, like, like I was kind of slowly getting away from meetings. I was starting to think that, uh, you know, like I don't need as much support as, as possible and all that type of stuff. I started working, um, uh, you know, really putting work ahead of everything. And, you know, eventually, you know, I just, just kind of just started using again. Right. And, um, it came to the point where, you know, I was asked to leave foundation house with, as long as I could stay, uh, clean and sober for, I think it was, you know, five days or whatever, I, I can come back. And again, it was, it was the shame, the guilt of, of having that relapse again, you know, that, that, uh, just being dumbfounded that I, I could go down that road and that I lost all my clean time, my sober time that, uh, you know, when, when I was given that opportunity to leave the house and come back, I just really just said, screw it. Mm-hmm. I'm going full bore here. Right. And, uh, you know, I went to this horrible coming motel room and just drank, right. you know, just complete oblivion, just drank, uh, drank to escape and just drank to numb all my feelings and, and get rid of it. And, um, still continued to kind of go to work and kind of, you know, I was calling in sick again a lot and, um, yeah, it, uh, kind of just went on like that for a couple weeks and until I, kind of reached out to you, you know, um, you know, you were, you were heavily involved in, in my life at this time and, and, and somebody that, uh, I definitely looked up to and uh, shared a lot of my issues with, and you've just been really a big part of my recovery. And even though I was in active addiction, you know, like I, I still had that, uh, that desire for connection, right. Mm. You know, like I was pushing as many people as way as possible, but I just had that desire for connection and, um, you know, I just knew with you that there, there was no judgment, you know, mm-hmm. that you were just, uh, somebody I could definitely reach out to you. Uh, even, even though I was at my absolute worst and that I let a lot of people down that I, or that I thought I let a lot of people down that, um, you know, I burned my bridges, you know, you, you were still there and I just said, I need help. And, and you, you know, you, you guided me towards, uh, uh, another recovery, um, center, um, inner visions. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the good thing about intervisions was it was like, uh, uh, the sooner you, the, the more you advocate for yourself, the sooner you're going to get in. And, and mm-hmm. luckily at that point, I was just like, I just need the help. And I called up intervisions. They got me in uh, relatively quickly, uh, within, geez, I think it was like four days or something yeah, like that. Quick, quick it was, it was super quick, you know? And, uh, it, it definitely wasn't fancy. I remember before, mm-hmm. uh, you, you before I went there, you, you were saying like it's not Cedars by any means. Right, no country club. <laughs> yeah, no country club, and you know it's it's kind of one of those places that you know you'll get a lot from, but you, you're not gonna you're not gonna want to go back there, right? Right. And uh, my experience there was phenomenal. Like it, it definitely was no country club, but it was you know it was the bare bones. Like if you're gonna do the work, you know we're here for you. If you're not gonna yeah. do the work, if you don't <laughs> want it, yeah, you're gone. Right. You know, get out yeah. of here. You know, and that's what I needed. You know, I needed that black and white. I needed that. Um, you know, if if you if you're gonna if you're gonna put the work in, like we're gonna help you. You know, right. we're gonna give you we're gonna give you recovery back. You know, but we want to see and we want to see you want yeah. it. You know, yeah, you got you got to earn it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And uh, you know, that kind of got me uh, back on track again again for my recovery. Um, uh, you know, I think after that, uh, I ended up coming back Foundation House. Mm-hmm. Um, had a really, really good experience. I was there for, this time I was there for seven months. Um, I, th- I w- oh yeah, was, uh, I got this, this go around. So this was, this was my last, uh, I'm leading up to my last relapse here. Mm-hmm. Um, before my last relapse, my sobriety date was actually Mother's Day. Um, you know, I'm, I'm working this, I got this good job that I was working and, uh, I was moving up in the company quite quickly. Uh, very proud of my mother's day sobriety date. And I was actually around 
11 months, a little over 11 months, um, clean and sober and approaching my one year and I'm telling absolutely everyone, telling people I work with like, Oh, my one year is coming up on mother's day. My mom is super proud of me, all this type of stuff. I'm working the program I'm working with my sponsor. I'm doing the steps. I, uh, injure my back. Uh, I injure my back ironically enough doing one of the, the step work things with my, with my sponsor. We were doing this thing called drop the rock where, uh, we went down to Dallas road beach we uh, picked out, I think, four four relatively large rocks, and on the rocks I wrote uh, four character defects. Picked up these rocks, walked about half a kilometer with them over to one of the the kind of rock cliffs, dropped these rocks into the ocean. You know, in the idea of letting go of my character defects and be willing mm-hmm. to let go. Um, and during that time, I hurt my back. back. I hurt my back doing a uh, step work. Um, which led me to getting justifiable, getting pain medications from the doctors. Uh, the first two days I was taking pain medications as prescribed. And, uh, I told myself, you know, my back still hurts. I need more, you know? Mm-hmm. And, uh, I, I faintly remember I took like two instead of one. And then I was like, no, nah, my back still hurts. But I remember feeling that feeling of that little bit of, right. You know, that little euphoria feeling that I was just really, you could tell my addict was just craving. And, you know, day three, I ended up taking, I don't even know, six times the recommended amount. And that moment, again, I knew that uh, I had relapsed, right? Right. I knew my Mother's Day sobriety date was out the window. Everyone, the shame, the guilt, everything. Absolutely. Everyone I told is going to think I'm a failure. I got to, I got to leave or, you know, have this whole facade that everything's all right. And, Mm. um, I couldn't, you know, I tried to hide it for probably a month and I hit it while I was living in recovery house too. You know, Mm. while I was living in foundation house, I, I tried to hide it, you know, everyone knew something was up. Mm. Um, uh, but, uh, you know, the substances that I was using, uh, just didn't, honestly, they didn't, uh, come up on the urine tests and, Mm. No one could prove and people were just kind of walking around eggshells around me and looking back you know it was a very unfortunate situation but i just i didn't want to lose my time which is as crazy as it sounds didn't want to lose my time and i didn't want to uh go back out and start at square one you know um but eventually i had to you know uh again i got uh, asked to leave and um, fairly quickly, luckily this time, uh, quickly being like within a month's time, I ended up going back into detox and obviously I started drinking before then getting back into detox and then went to the Grove again, stayed at the Grove for, you know, again, five or six months. And, um, that would, you know, that was my, that was my last relapse, you know, knock on wood. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, during that time, um, I always wanted to come back to foundation house. It was, it was that, uh, it was home to me, right? It was, mm-hmm. it was that safe place. It was that place that I knew people got along. People understood each other. Um, nothing wrong with the Grove, you know, but it just, uh, the Grove definitely being an earlier stage in people's recovery can often be very transient. Mm-hmm. Um, where foundation house is, is very, you know, you get a lot of guys with, uh, longer term sobriety there. Right. And, uh, I remember coming to you and, you know, saying like, man, I, I want to get back in a foundation house. You were the, you know, house uh, manager, coordinator at the time. And, uh, you know, you told me one of the, the best things that I absolutely needed during my recovery at that time said, you know, I'm scared to bring you back. You know, like we've had you back a couple of times and, and you've relapsed. I want you to get some, you know, some recovery behind you, you know. Mm-hmm. And at the time I was like devastated right absolutely devastated i was like foundation house is my home you know like i need to get in there and you know i'm not allowed to come back but uh i needed to be humbled you know like i needed Mm -hmm. to be shown like you need to really put the work in to come back here you know like it's it's something that you have to do for yourself it's something you have to do like it's this house isn't just always going to be here for you if you fall down you know there has to be some repercussions when you do um, relapse when you do go down that road and well, you know, we want to see you put that work in. And Mm -hmm. that's what I did. You know, like I, 
Um, you know, I, like I said, I went to detox for seven days. Uh, luckily got directly back into the Grove after detox. And I stayed at the Grove for about five months again mm. until uh, Foundation House, you and all the guys were ready to have me back and, and trusted me back. And I came back and uh, yeah, it was great you know it was i was super happy to come back and you know i'm i was fully working recovery i dove back in i had a lot of um gained a lot of humility mm-hmm. you know that that was i don't even know how many times five or six times in treatment multiple relapses uh multiple serious kicks of the can and uh a lot of lies a lot of all that type of stuff so it definitely hasn't been an easy journey uh mm-hmm. you know today um 19 months clean and sober. That's amazing. Uh, My life is, or how me as a person is completely different than what I was in all my previous attempts. And, and, and I look at that as, as me just being that much more serious that my recovery has to be absolutely number one. Mm -hmm. I've put relationships before my recovery. I put work before my recovery, money before my recovery, um, everything before my recovery before in the past and eventually my recovery would slip and I would lose everything I worked for anyways. Right. Uh, this go around, I can say 110% that my recovery is number one. Mm-hmm. Um, today, like my biggest, my biggest thing is that on a daily basis that I don't uh, consume any mood or mind altering drugs. That's, that's, you know, my goal. Mm-hmm. It's not a, it's not a dwelling task by any means. It's, it's just literally, just a, some sort of reminder. It's the priority. It's a priority, yeah. right? Absolutely yeah. priority. And because then, you know, I can kind of grow my life and, um, yeah. And, you know, today, uh, uh, I, I still live at uh, foundation house right now. Right. So, so this, this last time through, you know, it's, it was tangible, the difference, you know, there's always mm-hmm. this, this talk, like this X factor there. I always feel that there is this X factor. Sometimes you can't put a finger on it, but it's just the way someone holds himself, the, the commitment, to someone's recovery, you can, you can feel it, you know, and, and we, we definitely felt that with you, you know, I, I, I see it in your health in in how healthy you are. And, and I know you've, you've put a lot of focus on your fitness and, mm-hmm. um, and yeah, your, your overall well being. it seems like, uh, it's a, it's a more holistic approach this time. Um, you're now the senior resident, you yeah. know, and so someone who has seen the house through so many different iterations and what is it like now? Being that, being that guy, the the role model that people are looking up to, that that has that time under his belt, you know what what's your what's your conversation like with the new guys coming in? Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, the biggest the biggest thing is recovery has to be number one. Yeah, like ab- absolutely, and it's it's one of those things. Like I'll just always tell people, um, you know, like you got to do something on a daily basis for your recovery, especially in early recovery. And, you know, a lot of the new guys that come in, you know, they're either, you know, they're, they're either coming from treatment or they're coming, living on the, their own from um, their you know, substance use and stuff like that. They're not used to that, that group setting. They're not used to being around guys all the time. And that's what, you know, that's what I, I really needed, especially in my early days was, was to be surrounded by like-minded individuals. <coughs> people to, uh, kind of like call me out on, uh, improper behavior, mm. um, to, to call me out when they see, you know, little things such as chores slipping, um, or just attitude changes, isolation, and to get me kind of back on track. And, you know, today as like a senior resident in the house, um, uh, an ongoing issue can be something as simple as chores, you know, yeah. uh, it can be, you know, one of the first signs of somebody not doing well is, is not doing their chores, right. you know, like it, it's something like who, who really cares? Like if a bathroom is, is not clean that day, like it's not the end of the world. Right. It's an indicator. Um, it's an indicator. Yeah. It is an indicator. It's, it's that first sign of, you know, um, I'm not doing well. Why do I have to care about doing my chore? Why do I have to care about doing my chore? Right. Uh, you know, I don't care about this house. I don't care about my other, other people who live in this house. So I'm not gonna do my chore. I'm not going to, um, do it, uh, do it well. And that's kind of a a broad spectrum of what it is, but you're right. It is, it is a first indicator and, uh, it is one that, uh, you know, I, when I do tell people to do their chore properly, I definitely emphasize on them that, uh, 
you know, I'm, I'm doing it like out of love, honestly, I'm mm-hmm. doing it out of calling you out, you know, um, keeping you accountable because, uh, during my personal experience and, uh, experience of others that I've seen, it is, it is one of the first indicators. So right. it's important to kind of keep those rules how they are. Right. Yeah. So you've seen the house, obviously, you know, three different iterations, uh, yep. completely different personnel, different people in different managers. Yeah. Um, What's the, what's the common theme? What, what, if you could kind of describe foundation as what, you know, we, we've seen so much success with this model. What, what do you think it is that, you know, what's something that's that, that underlying theme throughout your, your stays at, with umbrella with foundation house? It's, uh, yeah, bar none. It's, it's the, the connection, you know, right. it's the connection with the guys. It's, uh, staying up in the, in the living room and chatting with guys, watching TV, laughing, watching a movie together, going out to meetings together. Right. It's, it's that uh, initial connection when somebody new comes into the house for for people in the house to invite them out to go do something, you know, mm. to, to, the, to... The inclusivity. Of yeah, the, yeah, yeah, it is. It's also that uh, it's making it a safe place that we feel like we can call each other else out, right? Mm. Because it's that accountability, especially in early recovery, that, that really kind of keeps us on track because left to my own devices, left in my head, I can convince myself... I can justify with myself like absolutely anything. You know, I can justify not doing my chore. I can justify skipping a meeting here or there. But I, I can't justify it when somebody or multiple people call me out on it. Right. You know, like it's it's a lot easier to justify in my head than it is to verbalize it with somebody who's seeing my actions on the outside, right? So right. I think it's, yeah, it's, it's the connection. It's keeping people accountable. And, uh, it's just having that that safe place that you know we can be vulnerable with each other, that we, we you know we can build those bonds that we we can, yeah, call each other out on it, and that that we care about each other's recovery. You know. Right. Yeah. Well, I think when you're living in, you know, we've we've touched upon this uh, before that you know when you're living with so many people, it's just small close quarters. You kind of have to. It kind of forces your hand a little bit, yeah. right? It forces your communication skills, your negotiation skills, conflict ma- you know, management, and and like you say, that it's. Um, the being able to be safe to have those experiences is, is such a, such a key piece to that. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And then I guess, you know, um, and you're still super tight with, with like our, our house dog. Um, you know, that's a, that's an experience too. And we, we kind of touched upon it. She's not easy on people. She's a rescue dog and, uh, you know, she, she lets you have it if you're not, you know, investing in her. Right. You know, and, and like you said, she's, she's not going to be your favorite person unless you actually invest that time. Right. So, yeah, and uh, yeah, I should have spoke a little bit more like it because like it was uh, especially this go around. Like it was a huge part of my recovery. Um, actually, the same as last go around. She's always been a huge part ever since mm-hmm. I moved to Foundation House in my my life. Um, and the one the one thing I always have to remind people that that come in that's new, she's got a lot of anxiety. She's got a lot of uh, a lot of issues of her own. Mm-hmm. Uh, rightfully so, you know. She lives in a recovery house where. People, you know, it's a, it's a, it can be a rotating door. There's Come people that she can uh, get really close to and people that leave and people that uh, she doesn't like. And so, you know, there's a lot, uh, obviously, that she's been through. But um, taking her out for walks, you know, she, that's that's the way to her heart. It's not food. It's nothing like right. that. Taking her out for walks. And I've I've taken her out for definitely a lot of you beach put, adventures. Put and time. <laughs> taking her camping, like... Uh, yeah, we, we definitely, we get out uh, a lot and uh, she, yeah, really enjoys it. She's, right you know, she's always been sleeping with me. She sleeps in my bed. Um, always super happy to see me when I get home and, right. and nothing like that. And, and just, just having her, you know, in my life is, is, is absolutely huge. You yeah. know, like she's been just a rock in my recovery and I'm That's super amazing. grateful for her. Like she's an amazing dog, but you gotta, you gotta, you gotta work to, to gain her love. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Your time. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's great. So, and I, you know, I want to touch on one more piece before we, we wrap up here, mm-hmm. you know, this, this last kick at the can here at, at foundation house has, has had another turn too, where you've actually, um, been employed with umbrella for yeah. this, the, this past year or so, right? So we passed a year now, past a year, past, yeah. just past a year, but a year and a month. Yeah. So um, can you can you explain a little bit about what you do and and how it's that's impacted your recovery? Yeah. Yeah. I'm just realizing that I really kind of just skimmed over my story. There's there's a lot to tell, but yeah. uh, that's definitely another big part of my uh, 
my recovery this go around is yeah i started working for umbrella right around the the eight or nine month sobriety mark i think mm-hmm. um i actually you know i went to umbrella and and asked if there's volunteer work uh, that i could do because i was on ei and um they said no there's no volunteer work but you can work for us and i was like oh okay um i guess you know and uh yeah i just started off you know kind of like part-time work here or there i honestly when i first started i i wasn't too sure if i was completely done with engineering or doing something else um but uh i figured i'd give it a shot because you know i was on ei i wasn't working anyways i could kind of test the waters and um you know i started working uh, in different uh kind of the different um areas that umbrella works in at the hospitals at rack rapid access clinic at the substance use rapid follow-up and kind of all over and uh, the one thing i absolutely fell in love with was kind of hearing people's stories you know through recovery and their challenges and kind of working with them and sharing my story and challenges and kind of seeing with people you know like what works you know what works what doesn't work for you because everyone's everyone's different right and um, kind of seeing that hope in people's eyes that, you know, uh, that there are options out there, that there are resources out there that, you know, there's kind of ways that we can, you know, address, address these addiction issues and you don't have to be stuck in that, right? There's lots of people out there that are suffering and there's lots of people out there that are in recovery that are enjoying happy lives. And just to see that hope kind of come back with people. And mm. I've absolutely fallen in love with that, you know, having those conversations, seeing that light bulb come on that, okay, I'm ready to do something about it. You know, I'm open to treatment. I'm open to detox. I'm open to outreach work, counseling. Making a step. Yeah, you know, and um, absolutely fell in love with that. And, you know, this is definitely a field I want to pursue. It's a a field that, I, you know, I've kind of, I'm looking at uh, additional schooling kind of going forward. And it's only helped my recovery, you know. And that was another thing that I was a little weary about was, will this jeopardize my recovery working in this mm-hmm. field? And, you know, I've heard it from other people saying that um, it's only strengthened my recovery, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other important thing I think that kind of goes along with it, like I have my work, you know, I have my work recovery, but I also have my personal life recovery, you know. Right. And I do everything I can not to combine those two. I get paid to do work, you know, I get paid mm-hmm. to do that work recovery, um, but I have to have my own recovery on top of it. So. That's right. You know, I still go to AA meetings. Um, I still work with my sponsor. I still take on sponsees. I still do step work. Um, that's, you know, that's important to me because once I start merging and justifying that work is enough recovery for me, mm-hmm. I know that'll go down in a slippery slope. And right. uh, that's that's a big thing for me is I still have to have my own recovery because mm-hmm. this job can be very uh, uh, draining also, right? Absolutely. So yeah. it's important to have those outside outlets as well. So, right. Right. so um, yeah, we're getting close to the end here. And I mean, obviously your, your stories is, you know, quite something. And, and actually, you know, there was parts of that story that I, I had never heard before, oh, really? you know, yeah. and uh, um, it just, for me, it's just always, I look at it as, as a point of optimism. You had a lot of setbacks. Yes. And I think that when we're talking to family members, when we're talking to individuals, right, you know, it can be exhausting and there can be that fuck what is actually going to change right and and will i ever kind of see the other side of it and it's always so optimistic to see people who have found that success might not be the first time and and your story is is really indicative of that right you know that that all that time when you even started that journey yeah there were some real big bumps along the way but you were still working if you were looking at the trajectory you're still working towards that goal you're still putting in that time and that work and that process sometimes is not a pretty one. And, and there are times where you have to kind of feel those bottoms a little bit. Right. And mm-hmm. I think that's part of the process that a lot of people don't understand. Right. And, and so for me, the fact that you can be that voice, um, for, you know, um, sticking with it, you know, and, and showing that, that, Hey, it doesn't matter how many times you fall down, if you keep on getting up and putting in the work. It's going to, it's going to pay exactly off for it, you. Right. Yeah. My dad, um, my dad always says, like, as, as long as you're not giving up. Mm-hmm. I don't know how many times I've phoned him and said, I'm back at treatment again, or I'm back in detox. Mm-hmm. And his responses, once he kind of understood addiction a little bit more, his responses were always like, 
I'm really happy that you're not giving up, son. Right. You know, like it, it's just, it's, it, and, and that's it. You know, I'm yeah. so happy I never gave up because there was many times when I wanted to give up. Right. You know, many times where I just wanted to throw in the towel and, and uh, I'm glad I didn't, you know, yeah. because uh, all those relapses, all those times of treatment, you know, I learned something about myself. I learned at least what not to do, mm-hmm. you know, but I also learned a lot of what works and, um, you know, what makes me tick and, and who you are, who right? I am, yeah. you know, today, uh, I actually understand a lot more of who I am, what I enjoy, what brings me joy in life, you know, mm-hmm. something that, uh, was always covered up by drugs, alcohol, right. uh, relationships, work, school, you know? Yeah, so it's stripped it back and and figured it out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I've had to put a lot of work into myself, and for that, I'm very grateful. That's awesome, man. Well, and we're grateful to have you still as part of the Umbrella family, and thank you, doing absolutely exceptional work. Um, And just everybody always just sings your praises, and it's it's you know it's definitely for a good cause. You you uh, you know you you are passionate about what you do, and Mm -hmm. um, we see it in your work at the house, and you see it in your work, uh, you know, up at the hospital right now, and and with our clients and. Yeah, we're really proud of you, man, and, Thank and you. glad you're here. And thanks so much for coming and sharing your story. Hey, thanks for having uh, me. I think it's I think it's a great story, and it's something that, that people need to hear. So yeah, yeah, thanks, brother. Thank you. Okay, there you have it. Thank you one more time to James and also to Eric and Matt for sharing their stories and touching upon their time at Foundation House. These are three incredibly inspiring individuals, but really just three of so many touching stories of redemption coming out of Foundation House. The transformations that I have personally seen over the years are truly remarkable. But give me the energy to keep at this important, albeit challenging work. Uh, I've had the privilege of knowing so many individuals who have found success in their recovery. This gives me hope and is a tangible reminder that recovery is possible. Let's keep the faith and the hope alive. Let's push our governments to provide easily accessible and diverse treatment options so that we can give folks a fighting chance in their battle against addiction. Okay, I'll get off my soapbox now, but please stay tuned for another edition of Comfortably and Numb due to drop in two weeks' time. From Victoria, B.C., I am Blake Anderson.